Hello and welcome to North 100, a Canadian Highlander podcast. A reminder, this podcast is brought to you by you. In support of the Patreon over at patreon.com slash loading ready run. My name is Serge. Joining me as always, I have a wheeler. Hi, it's great to be here. Jer. Hello. And today we have a special guest, Blake. Longtime listener, first time caller. Ooh. And we don't have many callers. You're our second guest ever in the 127 episode history of our show thus far. Who was the first? Uh, Allison, long time, also kind of a control player. She talked extensively about an archetype called The Rock, and it was wonderful. And it was also like 100 episodes ago. <laughs> so it's been a while. Now, Blake, if people aren't familiar with who you are, really quickly, introduce yourself. Yeah, so I work for Wizards of the Coast. I am, my, my title is Senior Communications Manager, and that means I have oversight over a bunch of stuff. I manage the community team. I'm in charge of our content. I work with our PR team really closely. Basically, if we do words that are about Magic the Gathering, I deal with them in some form or fashion. Uh, that includes preview plans, content. I used to do a lot of esports coverage back in the day. I don't do that so much anymore. And I do a weekly show called appropriately Weekly MTG every Thursday on twitch.tv slash magic. There's my plug. Where we usually share a bunch of new Sometimes we do fun shows, but we'll we'll talk about kind of the issues or the the news of the week. Oh, fantastic! And I mean, obviously, for Canadian Highlander, what's your history with the format? Yeah, it was introduced to Canadian Highlander. Uh, I want to say like six years ago now, but that might be off by a year or two in either direction. Marshall Sutcliffe actually introduced me. No way! To, yeah, so back when I did coverage and was on every Pro Tour, we played a lot of Magic. And Marshall had picked up Canadian Highlander from you fine folks and brought it down to the the Pro Tour coverage team. And we're generally a competitive lot. And so we, for a while at least... A lot of us switched from playing Commander to playing Canadian Highlander as our format of choice between, you know, work at the Pro Tour events. So he showed me a deck. It was full of awesome cards. I think he had a Sultai deck at the time. <laughs> and I immediately changed one of my spikier Commander decks into a Canadian Highlander deck and just kind of kept going. Well, that's fantastic. Now, what kind of archetypes do you like to play in the format? I almost exclusively play blue cards. And I, I play a lot of control. The four decks I currently have built, I have a Sultai control deck, I have blue-white control, I have Jeskai tempo, and then I have your kind of Protean Hulk-ish deck. All con all blue control decks. Wheeler. Yeah. <laughs> the Protean the Protean Hulk is not a flash hulk. I should that's that's Obzon. That's my yes. one like your pattern pattern rector. Pattern, deck? pattern rector, Ooh. yeah. Sandy B. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. It's my, it's my change of pace deck when I'm tired of using blue cards. I, I don't know the feeling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to each their own, I suppose. I don't play it very often, to be fair. Ah, fair enough. And I think a very exciting thing, since we have a new person on the show, let's do something we haven't done in a very long time. Let's talk about the best card you're not playing. 
Today, Blake, why don't you share a card that you're excited about in the format that you think is criminally underplayed currently? Yeah, I've actually been playing this card for as long as I've been playing Canadian Highlander. It's it's one of my blue cards. And the card is Future Sight. It is, if you're not familiar, a blue enchantment for five mana total, two and three blue that just says play with the top card of your library, re library revealed, and you may play the top card of your library. Pretty simple. It's been a really powerful card for a really long time but it is it's overlooked in a, in a lot of formats not just ours back in the day when it was first printed it was usually a combo card part of something a deck called tight sight oh yeah yeah he used a, <laughs> a lot of untap effects and, and it, it it sought to get future sight in play and then just basically play its entire library and then you know how it killed the opponent it didn't matter i just took a drag off of a giant cigarette and thinking that's a name I haven't heard in a while. <laughs> I've been playing magic for a real long time. So yeah. I, I, I can go in the Wayback machine anytime. That's a BDM special right there. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, the, the first time I played future sight in a tournament was in my Grixis control deck, which was my first Canlander deck and the one I played the longest. And the first time I played it, I got some weird looks and I was very confused because I was relatively new to Canadian Highlander at the time and like people were coming up to me throughout the tournament and saying are you the guy who's playing Future Sight and it was very strange to me because I'm like this card is what? busted yeah and 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 when I've looked through lists I think the difference is I don't play it in combo decks it's a it's a staple of some combo decks because you're trying to churn through a bunch of cards all at the same time and, and Future Sight lets you you do that effectively and, and, and see more cards constantly but I, I tend to play it in controlled decks because and we'll talk about this today not to lead the, the story we're going to go through but you really need some card advantage engines that put you over the top you know divination doesn't do it you need to draw a lot of cards and, and future sight does come with a little bit of a drawback that you're broadcasting what you're doing but it just doesn't matter because you're drowning your opponent in cards and the drawback to this card is that you are paying five mana for an enchantment that does nothing when it comes into play most of the time if it's late game sometimes it will but if you're looking to play this on turn five, you're crossing your fingers that your opponent isn't doing anything or just immediately destroying it. But if you untap with this, it's incredibly hard to lose. You're going to hit all of your land drops. Your cantrips are going to be amazing. If you have something like Sylvan Library in play, you're just going to speed through your deck. You know, combine this with Jace the Mind Sculptor and forget it. There's there's no coming back from that. So it's incredibly powerful, but I just I don't see it very much. And every time I've played it, I've gotten kind of surprised, shocked reactions from my opponent before they lose to it. <laughs> I like the little bit of spice at the end there. All right, well, I think Blake hinted to it a little bit. Since you're a control player and Jer is a control player and Wheeler plays everything, let's let's focus this on control decks, maybe specifically building control decks. And let's establish some credentials here. What exactly are our control pedigrees? So Blake, you said you've got four decks, three of which are control, and you're just a control pl player? Is, like you bleed control? Generally, in like every format, it's I don't understand aggro. I can do mid range, I can do combo, but my in you know my first competitive deck here, Wheeler, I'm going to take in the Wayback Machine again was Browse Post, and <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So, uh, Browse Post, for those of you who aren't familiar, is an alliance is an alliances era standard deck that type, type two type two. <laughs> 
whose win condition, singular, was Keldrin Outpost. Wait, but the land that makes... Wait. One one soldier tokens. Yep. That what? was the win condition. <laughs> and the way and, and generally speaking, the way you actually won was by locking your opponent out. And you would use a card called Soldivi Digger, which is from Alliances, two mana artifact that for two mana you can put target card in your graveyard on the bottom of your library. And then it used an enchantment also from Alliances called Browse. It was a four mana enchantment, two and two blue, that had an activated ability that's a that for two and two blue, so eight mana before you you get to do anything <laughs> but when you activate it you look at the top five cards of your library you put one into your hand and you exile the next four so the deck would it would use like wrath of god sorts of plowshares force of will sometimes like arcane denial stuff like that and it would control the board and then it would work its way through the library with browse until between browse and soldivi digger you could put whatever card you needed or wanted from your graveyard usually a counter spell or sorts of plowshares something like that back into your library which at that point was like two or three cards deep and you just always have access to what you needed and then you could finish them off with children outposts at any time so that's I, I came to love thawing glaciers from that which is another amazing control card from that era that doesn't see a ton of play anymore but that became my kind of whole mentality how much can i bend before i break and before <sighs> i take over and i really enjoy that challenge of trying to forecast what my opponent's going to do, what I can allow them to get away with for a little bit until I need to stop them. And, and that is always really appealing to me. Fascinating. Jer, long-time listeners of the show will know that you you favor control. Want to talk about that a little? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've played probably most most control decks there are in the format. I, I've even experimented with a lot of non-blue lists tap out reactive like literally no win conditions you name it i've probably played it <laughs> awesome and wheeler tell mm. us about you and control i'm on well i i mean i i enjoy a good seinfeld but also i, I if i'm playing control it's got to be just guy baby it's got to be just, or Sultai. actually i kind of fell in love with Sultai. Uh, a couple years ago, but mostly Jeskai. Jeskai control is uh, there's something about lightning helix and force of will that's hard to beat in more ways than one. All right, let's talk about building control decks. And correct me if I'm mistaken, but I think the most interesting problem you're trying to solve when you're constructing a control deck is defining the problem you're trying to solve, if that makes sense. Blake, when you're building a control deck, when you're sitting down to do it, like what is the rationale? What are you trying to do? I mean, to use your parlance you're trying you're trying to solve all the problems and it, it's that that sounds a little facetious but that's really what you're trying to do is is build your deck in such a way that what Ever your opponent throws at you, you have an answer because control, control decks are at their heart answer decks. And that's why you see, you know, Jared was talking about even some non-blue control decks. The reason blue is so popular is because something like Counterspell doesn't care what the threat is. It, it just cares that it is a threat. And so you're really trying to build your deck in a way that you can solve all of the problems that are going to be thrown at you. Now, what those problems are is a problem in and of itself. So Jerry and I actually played in a tournament before the world ended down here that was a Team Trios tournament. And I, I played my Grixis control deck at the time. And one of the things we did before the event was, was sit down, talk about the decks we expected, and then make some swaps. And, you know, for 
Jira's deck and the other deck. We, we made a, a couple swaps based on what we expected. For Grixis, I think we made upwards of like 12, 15 swaps or something like that. And that's because we decided what we thought the problems were going to be and then addressed that. And and it's such a, a wide swath of things in Canadian Highlander that you have to be able to answer that you're looking for things that answer the broadest spectrum of things in, in one card or, or a few cards. Yeah, and to clarify, we, we made the swaps not because Blake's build was was bad or incorrect. It's just because you have to do that for a for a control deck if you if you have knowledge of of what you expect that's such an advantage playing playing a control deck like the hardest thing about playing a, con- a control deck is trying to as as blake and surge have mentioned answer all the problems if you can narrow down the problems you're gonna have to deal with that makes control a lot more the control archetype a lot more powerful yeah i'll get i'll use a specific example in there that we did is i don't particularly personally like the card spell snare it's 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 obviously very strong but it's a little you know when i talk about having broad answers it's it's sometimes too narrow at me i've, I've found myself staring at spell snare in my hand wishing it were anything else way too often real quick what spell snare spell snare is a one mana blue instant that says counter target spell with converted mana cost two yeah it seems a little narrow it, it is but it's also very strong like every deck has spells that cost two mana but when when you expect, for example, a lot of aggro, spell snare is one a counter spell, which already has a little bit of baggage with it because it doesn't deal with the battlefield. And two, it might not be the specific right counter spell at the right time. It's very powerful when you have it on turn one on the draw, for example, but it can be a little off. But what we expected for that tournament was a lot of blue decks. That's what Jar and others had seen the day before. It's what we kind of expected to show up. And blue decks are just rife with two mana instants and you will have an opportunity against blue decks to use that card at some point it's it's not going to be a dead card because of that so we put it in the deck there are other metagames i wouldn't play it in the deck and generally speaking if i'm going into an unknown metagame i don't play it in the deck but we definitely played it there and out of curiosity how'd you guys do at that event we i was the highest finishing american Mm. yeah that's (laughs) that's that's huge it was the all canadian team final Blake, blake gets the honorary Status. I was an honorary Canadian for a day. We finished <laughs> we finished second. Second. To some young up and comers. It was it was good to see them, you know, shine for a day. Yeah. For for a day. You know, not none of them won the the singles event, so. Whoa. <laughs> well, we were we were too busy to practice. We were too busy to win the singles event. <laughs> <laughs> that that you all played in, yeah. Well, we had to make sure that Pro Tour Day Two competitor Noel Robin was um, mm. sufficiently f- full of American fast food <laughs> and Jackbox, Jack of the Box, and stuff. And so you know, I, Blake, I still think about that breakfast I got. That br- I, you know, I was thinking about that the other day too. That breakfast was amazing. Yeah, I bet. I bet I could find. I, if that place is still open, I one hundred. I one hundred percent could find it again. Yeah. Let me circle us back to the problem of control. <laughs> so it doesn't seem like it's not reasonable to make a deck that answers everything, is it? I mean, no. You you have to hedge in in certain areas, and often like it goes to say like you're you're often not including cards like disenchant in your deck because or or Blake the spell snare example is a good one. It's like you control decks can't afford to have dead cards because they're a reactive 
active deck. So you need you need to have as many options as possible, and those options need to be usable. Like the 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 reason you're playing control is you want a decision heavy heavy game, and you believe that you can play you can navigate those decisions better than your opponent can. And so if you're if you're limiting your decisions by having narrow cards in your hand that only have one one use case that may or may not come up, you're you're inhibiting sort of the the core game plan of the archetype. Yeah, a really good example of that are are wrath effects or, you know, damnation. And I heard Jared talking about this on a previous show, how like Wrath of God has started moving out of his white based control decks because you just it's even against decks, some decks with creatures, something like damnation, which is two and two black sorcery, destroy all creatures that can't be regenerated against some mid range decks. That's a, you know, a four mana terminate or or just a four mana kill a creature or if the problem is a planeswalker it doesn't address the planeswalker and so those are the kind of cards that are really powerful in the right scenario and super mediocre in others well this moves us nicely into probably a second part of building control deck which is what kind of control deck now does that change when you're looking at the type of problems you're trying to solve or do you think those are two completely separate questions it they are and they aren't I mean, Canadian Highlander is full of a ton of powerful reactive cards. And and so some cards are always going to make that threshold. Like you are not going to play a white based control deck and and not play swords to plowshares. It doesn't matter what your white based control deck is. You're playing swords to plowshares. So, So there are there are some cards that at a level are always going to make it in. But then there are others. So we'll we'll use Damnation as an example. There are control builds that are more creature heavy. So I'll I'll use my my Sultai, my current Sultai build as an example. Actually, you know what? I'll use the Jeskai build as an example. So the, the Jeskai build has quite a number of creatures. It also has things like Lightning Helix, Lightning Bolt, those those pinpoint flexible removal spells that are, are great in almost any scenario. That deck doesn't play Wrath of God because your answer to creatures in that scenario is either your pinpoint removal or other creatures. So yes, the, the makeup of the control deck definitely matters for some of the reactive cards, but for some of the other reactive cards, like Counterspell, Tubal Mana Counterspell, you're you're just going to play that. It's just that good. But for, you know, cards, you know, the last 20 cards or something like that, yeah, the texture of your deck is definitely going to matter. I think at the end of my Jeskai Control spree, I was down to playing just Terminus because I had like a Mystical Tutor and Treat the Angels package. Just Terminus, and I think I was only barely holding onto supreme verdict as like a response to all the victoria control players that just want to like tarmogoyf loxodon smiter wrath of god themselves and so you just i mean no well i mean i use that example i won several tournaments with that deck i'll have you know yeah that's why i had to deal with it but it wasn't just you it was sutherland as well and like uh, josh would do that kind of stuff too occasionally and you just kind of needed it and often it verdict felt more like they they were wraths but like terminus was a bit more of a well i get to do this at instant speed or you know in a way for such a small amount of mana that it can really cause you problems yeah you can like terminus plus jade on the same turn which is yeah it's just like the game's over and and even supreme verdict at times felt like kind of a 
like it was just a giant version of like an electrolyzer and arc trail you know of like a, i might be killing two creatures one of those creatures might not even be super relevant but i need to deal with them without my opponent being able to stop that destroy target true name nemesis <laughs> yeah exactly especially if you play in the same same tournament every week you can you can get a lot of leverage and advantage by changing up the cards in your deck each week like there were weeks where i'd i'd be playing control for several weeks in a row and i'd like alternate weeks that i'd put settled the wreckage in my deck so like people would see it and then play <laughs> around it but the next week it wasn't even in my deck and then i'd i'd gain like eight life over the course of a game against a mid-range deck because they weren't were only attacking with half their creatures playing around a card that wasn't in my deck that's evil that's just smart but it's <laughs> it's it's how you have to play control decks wow. a lot of the time you have to find ways for your opponent to to outplay themselves in some ways you know that's that's the advantage of playing decks with typically a lot of instants is they have they have to decide am i playing around settle the wreckage or am i playing around cryptic command am i playing around counterspell or remand and and that's a lot of the advantage of playing counterspell decks because you have that kind of mind game you can play and it goes back to the whole sort of the the core principle of control decks for me is having a decision intensive game and creating ways for either your opponent to make mistakes or giving yourself openings to make make correct decisions in in tough spots i really like that all right at what point like we're looking at different types of control decks for a while i remember wheeler talked about the jeskai list that he was piloting being mid-range not control like where does that line start or stop when i cut mantis rider <laughs> um like that deck kind of went through you know a bit of an evolution i guess like the points change the points in the format also shifted a bit and we saw new cards printed that kind of just made find the recall really powerful and you could still do that with just guy midrange and it's great but it just led to like it would feel kind of awkward tapping out for you know something that just died like a three drop that could just get bolted or like casting brim as at the time didn't feel that great let's put it that way and so i like when you start trimming those purely I say purely proactive, but that's kind of the strength of a deck like Jeskai, where like if you have a Brimaz that's able to attack and block, which it usually can, it's it's doing double duty. But ultimately, you know, a mid a Jeskai mid range deck is more inclined with killing the opponent and being a bit more forceful. You know, playing like lightning strikes and whatnot, and so trimming the Mantis Riders, trimming the lightning strikes, and replacing them with like, okay, I still have my bolts, but I would rather play play a different kind of disrupt different piece of disruption right like a like a magmatic sinkhole or whatnot so you're gonna need to go over that one real quick what now magmatic sinkhole it's from modern horizons it's the four no five and a red it's an instant it's got delve it deals five damage to a uh, target creature or planeswalker oh right so yeah, like yeah, yeah. you like a jeskai control deck at least the build back then was still able to pressure your opponent still be able to do the flashy like and of turn bolt you snapcaster flashback bolt kill you with like a chandra torch defiance uptick or whatever 
but you kind of said like, well, I'm getting old. I'm getting tired. Maybe I'll slide back in the saddle a bit and make sure I'm not dying to, you know, a, a big dumb five drop or whatever. Like you start playing more stuff that's pr- defensive, protective even. Just wondering where those boundaries exist. Well, and like in the control version, you're playing Torrential Gearhawk in the mid-range versions. You're less less likely to yeah. play it. Yeah, I like, I like to think of it as if you're playing creatures whose only job is to attack and block, you're not a control deck with maybe Tarmogoyf being an exception. As an example, one of the cards I've been, it's kind of been popping in and out of my Sultai control deck just because I want to try it out, but it's its not the type of card I usually put in a deck like this is, is Murktide Regent, which is uh, a Modern Horizons 2 card. And so it's pretty recent. It kind of has done a lot of work in Modern lately. So I'm trying it out, but it's a it's a blue dragon for five and two blue, which is not its actual casting cost because it has Delve. It's a 3-3 flyer that when it enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter on it for each instant and sorcery card exiled with it. And then whenever an instant or sorcery card leaves your graveyard, put a plus one plus one counter on Merktite Regent. So it it's just a, it's just a big dump. It kills really fast. It's really cheap, <laughs> but it just attacks and blocks. And it's the kind of creature I really loathe to put in a control deck. But on the other side of things, the deck, my deck does a lot of delving. And so it it does kill really fast. And it, it is the kind of thing where you can play it one turn and oftentimes, you know, swing in and kill them the next turn. Yeah, it's the kind of cards that's just so good. You kind of can't afford to not put it in your deck if you're yeah. if you're like, trying to play the optimal version on one hand it's just a big idiot on the other hand it's what if tomb stalker were in eight eight that you could pitch to force a will that also just gets bigger right and you didn't need to put swamps in your deck yeah well then important question how are you winning games if you're if creatures can neither attack nor block then how are you closing (laughs) them out Uh, so there are you know some of it is you just end up winning with whatever you have lying around because you take away all your opponent's options that's sort of the classic control model that's what i was talking about with browse post is you just kind of have a thing in there and it, it by you know purely wearing your opponent down you end up winning with attacking a, with a one one for 20 turns modern magic isn't really like that anymore now you you can just win by like attacking with a, a vendillion click and an eternal witness and a snapcaster mage for a couple turns and winning but i tend to in uh, canadian highlander and other high-powered formats I tend to like to have a combo finish or a creature that can kill real fast. And, and so that's why I like Murktide Regent. My Sultai deck is currently playing the Thassa's Oracle combo because it, it's it's cheap, it's flexible. You know, you want those types of finishers to have multiple uses. Like Thassa's Oracle is, it's fine as a as a 1-3 blocker that scries for two and you can, you know, find a way to regrow it later. It also has that oops, I went on turn three kind of potential. But, you know, the other cards in that combo are, are just tutors they're just solid cards that you're going to play real quick you want to give an example what the what the combo is just if people aren't familiar yeah so it's it's thassa's oracle and an empty library is the combo but <laughs> the way you the ways you get there and there are a number of ways demonic consultation is from ice age it's a black instant for a single black mana you name a card and then you remove the top six cards of your library from the game reveal them and then you start going through your library card by card until you reveal the named card and so you just you play Thassa's Oracle in response. You demonic consultation for you know Sarpedian Empires Volume Seven. Yeah, Stormcrow, whatever. Yeah, this is my favorite. Yeah, what what card do you name? That is. What's in your, your deck? favorite card to name? 
honestly, like most of the time, I name Black Lotus. Oh, Ben. Ben can't do that. No, Ben can't do that. <laughs> I mean, I will. I will, and I have, <laughs> and I will continue to do that. Jer, I name a Johnny Collar of the Pride, typically. But ah, nice, nice. I- Hunted Wumpus. It's <laughs> my favorite. All right, oh, I interrupted you. Sorry. Go ahead, Blake. You can also, you know, and the nice thing about that is you can. It's got multiple pieces that all work as well. Like Tainted Pack is really similar to Demonic Consultation. That just has a, a small deck building cost. You've got the the Jace Planeswalker that mimics Thassa's Oracle and and also lets you win with an empty library. So there are a number of cards that are all flexible that you're totally fine playing on their own. And that's one of the reasons I like that. But also, you know, it's it's as we always fond of saying, it's it's 2021. We have we have all these cards that do all these that do everything. And like one of the reasons I switched to Saltai was Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> like that yeah. card just it literally does everything. It draws cards. I like doing that in control decks. It gains life. Yeah. I need to do that in control decks. It plays extra lands. I need to do that in control decks. It attacks for six. I need to do that at some point. And then it does all the other things again. And then it does it again. <laughs> like it's <laughs> every turn. <laughs> it, it's just it does everything. Yeah. It's my favorite of the commands. <laughs> yeah. I I love the the look on my opponent's face the first time I attacked with it. There there were on a red player and they're like they, they just didn't understand they're like he does that every turn i'm like yeah yeah <laughs> like you lose i'm sorry yeah uh, so there you know the theme here is that you want your win conditions to also be flexible when i originally built grixis control i started with a like a splinter twin kiki kind of shell and i just slowly moved away from it because the individual pieces were so bad like i I never really wanted to just pester my my opponent or deceiver exarch my opponent that's it's not the way i play it's not the way i play control and and trying to graft that sort of combo onto a control deck didn't really work but the thassa's oracle combo all the pieces are just individually good and totally playable on their own independent of the combo so when you're building a control deck do you start with your win con and work backwards or do you start like what how does the win con factor into that decision for me it's an afterthought me, it, me too yeah it's a yeah. victory is inevitable yeah and like i mean it kind of has to be right like <laughs> if you're building if you're building a control deck and we're looking at this through the scope of i'm trying to win as many matches of magic as possible you kind of have to assume you have to have a mindset of like i'm here to win and well I should also just try to win as much as possible. And I'm probably winning more off the back of Thoughtseize, Ancestral Recall, Lightning Bolt, and Counterspell than I am of like any Dorcas on the board that could attack for three, you know? And so it's, you kind of just will pick however you want to kill them based off of like what you want your deck to fulfill, like any kind of holes that you might have or like ways that might be a bit difficult for your opponent to interact with, you know? But ultimately, I mean, Recall and Bolt and Counterspell, those are probably just good enough to win the game by themselves. Isn't there sort of a weird point where you have to ask yourself, how do you win? You don't just like look at a pile of cards and you think like, oh no, I forgot to include a win con? Yeah, you do. But the nice thing about some of the best control cards is that they take care of that on their own. You know, Snapcaster still attacks for two. Torrential Gearhulk, it's a five, six. Like, I'm playing that card regardless. You know, a lot of my, you know, one of the reasons I switched to Salt, I was Deathrite Shaman. It it kills opponents eventually. Chase the Mind Sculptor's <laughs> a classic control win, win condition. Yep. 
Teferi, Hero of Dominaria. You know, it takes forever, and your opponent basically <laughs> has to be the most stubborn human ever. But Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, is an actual win condition, yeah. assuming you have three hours to finish the game. And so a lot of the time, it's building out how you want to control the game and then looking at what you have and, and identifying, do you have enough win conditions? Are these the right win conditions? If not, then you fill in those holes. I love it. All right, an important question that is very unique to Canadian Highlanders, of course, the points list that we have here. Much like win cons, these are often the more powerful cards in your deck. How do you decide which points to include? Well, if you're playing blue, you start with Ancestral Recall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every time? Is that No, no, that's not necessarily true, but that's that's typically that's it's it's one of the reasons you play control in this format is because Ancestral Recall is a card that you're allowed to play and you're allowed to play a bunch of tutors and it's it's just like a sort of fun iconic thing you can do in this format that you don't get to do many other places and it's a viable like optimal strategy so yeah that's not wrong that's kind of how i've started like is this an ancestral recall deck if not why okay if not then then i start filling it in with honestly i i look first to dig through time and treasure cruise if it's if it's not going to be an ancestral recall deck i'm going to try to approximate that and usually mana drain as well again if i'm on like if i'm not doing any of the big points cards those kind of one point blue cards blue staples are almost certainly going to go in and then you know i look at so for example the salt high deck i i ended up making room for gifts ungiven because it's a it's a one card way to set up your combo and so so there's a little bit of texture, but yeah, I think Jer's right. You start with the question of ancestral recall. If yes, go this direction. If no, go this direction. <laughs> I don't I don't know, Blake. I mean, out of curiosity, your soul tie build, did you pivot to soul tie before like Oracle combo kind of started picking up as a thing control decks were doing or I know. So I actually had started testing oracle combo in grixis the reason the, uh, the reason i switched to Saltai is pretty benign i just kept wanting to add green cards deathright shaman and uro were the top two on that list o oko perhaps oko as well those those were yeah Abo above average magic card above average magic cards that i wanted to play and so at first i was like well i could splash some green in here but grixis's big weakness is its mana base and its inability to gain life. So like the red matchup is really bad. It's winnable, but it's really bad. Deathrite Shaman, Uro, and Oko almost like that that problem solved. Congratulations. And so I ended up the red cards stopped being worth it. I, I had a little pang of sadness when Prismari Command was printed and I, I couldn't play it in a Grixis deck because I love that card and it does a lot of things. But yeah, the in a bit at its core, both decks are, are black blue control decks with either some red cards or some green cards. And the green cards are just stronger at this point. I can't speak to what it's like now outside of like if you're a salt list and you say you're not playing the Oracle combo. I can't speak to whether or not this is like a, a question a lot of people are asking themselves, but I know that the the Soul Tide list I ended up playing, I, I basically stole it from Pat Berdusco, local large ape and player of Canadian Highlander, a very good magic player. But his his build of Soul Tide was just like demonic tutor and then good blue cards. 
like the big blue spread basically and he i I remember him mentioning just like the fact that you for sultai especially like that your demonic tutor could realistically solve whatever your opponent had or whatever Mm -hmm. your problem was but also given your deck had you know it's not exactly the sexiest line but demonic tutor for a tarmogoyf can very quickly kill people if needed mm-hmm. yeah or or Merktide region or <laughs> yeah it's kind of a way that if people are a little do- you know they go like Ugh, ancestral recall oracle combo and god forbid they think about time vault you know there are other ways you can you can dt spread with a whole bunch of goodies yeah yeah, Blake. Blake's also very familiar with Patty. He was the third person on our on our oh. team. <laughs> yep. God, the noise you just made me make when you described him as a large ape. It's like mm-hmm. a snort and a laugh, and I started choking. Thank you for that, Wheeler. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> all right, let's wrap this up with kind of a fun note because we've all talked about how long we've been playing Magic, how long we've been playing the format and established control players. So what is a card or win condition that you still have in your lists that nostalgia won't let you go, that common sense is telling you should probably be cut? I mean, so uh, I, unfortunately I did cut it, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. I, cruel ultimatum. I, I was... no. <laughs> I was playing that up through, God, like five months ago. Cruel Ultimatum has been a pet card of mine forever. And in that in that tournament we've been talking about where we got second, I played Cruel Ultimatum. Like Cruel Ultimatum was in my deck. Real quick, what is it? Oh, yeah, I suppose I should describe <laughs> the the best seven mana source. It's, it's not even the best Ultimatum anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Cruel Ultimatum is a seven mana sorcery. For two blue, three black, and two red. So oh, real easy to cast. Real easy to cast. It's just you know, <laughs> couple man. It's it's a sorcery, and it says target opponent sacrifices a creature, discards three cards, then loses five life. You return a creature card from your graveyard to your hand, draw three cards, and gain five life. It's a long way of saying you win the game. Congratulations, but it's probably going to take a few more turns. I I have cast that card and lost. It is rare. But I've been casting that card for a very long time from when it was in standard. It was an actual good card up till, yeah, a couple of months ago when I, I finally moved away from Grixis Control. <laughs> that's that's when it stopped being good? Uh, no, it, was, it wasn't It was good <laughs> long before that. I thought you said, I thought you were about to say a couple of years. No, <laughs> no. The, this tournament that we're t- we've been talking about was in 2019. Yeah. And... Yeah, I didn't. I didn't move to Saltai till. But you guys got to the finals. I assumed you wouldn't have been on Cruel Ultimatum if you got to the final. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't be so rude about Cruel Ultimatum. <laughs> it's it's hard to hate. Iconic Canlander card too. Yeah, it, it it's I I I built my decks around it. Like the idea was, you cast a bunch of cheap stuff and just kept hitting your land drops. And then when you got to seven, ma- I mean, this was my life game. When I talk about Grixis mm-hmm. doesn't gain life, this was how I. Oh did no! It. This was, you know, this was often how I beat red decks. Was I survived until I could cast this spell? But not to date how long people have been playing the format and Cruel Ultimatum. It genuinely was the boogeyman of Canlander, like Grixis control, specifically with Cruel Ultimatum. Like if 
if you are against somebody that like a Grixis control deck and you're like, oh, they played their coalition relic and had a bounce land. Oh no, they're going to hit seven <laughs> next turn. Like you could just lose. You could get ultimatum into the dirt. This has been a powerful magic story, but my favorite cruel ultimatum moment was my opponent cast cruel ultimatum into my open mana and I'm a blue deck. I dual caster mage their cruel ultimatum, <laughs> resolved it, drew mana drain off the cruel and got to mana drain their cruel ultimatum. <laughs> one of the most one of the most ridiculous beatings I've ever delivered to somebody. It's just oh. But it, it just it feels like all the things I want to do in a control deck. Obviously, it draws cards. It puts you out of burn range. It takes away all of their options because Lord knows by that point, they don't have more than three cards in their hand. It makes them sacrifice a creature. Hopefully, that's the only creature on the board. Like, it's just it is just such a I'm not going to win yet, but there's no way that you're going to win at this point card that i just i i love the feeling of casting it it's just it, it's it costs seven mana there's it's <laughs> it's too expensive it's too mana intensive it doesn't do it anymore jer what are you holding on to i don't know i have several <laughs> some of my favorites are primordial mist i love that card that's kind of like the new school future site i still have that in my deck not salt eye i have i have it in blue white <laughs> I, yeah I, I love this card so it's it's also five mana, but it's much easier to cast. It's four and a blue enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, you may manifest the top card of your library. So that puts it onto the battlefield face down as a 2-2 creature. And you, if it's a creature, you can turn it face up at any point for its mana cost if it's a creature card. And it has an activated ability that lets you exile a face down permanent you control face up and you may play that card this turn. I thought this is the one that's like the tabernacle. I have to... That's no, pen- that's Pendril. Sorry, sorry. P-Mist. <laughs> so, so this one's great because it's like a future site that lets you... It A, doesn't show your opponent what card you're getting. B, it's actually a win condition because it makes a 2-2 every turn. And if you're also a control deck, sometimes that's good enough. And C, it lets you sort of like hide counter spells and kill spells on board which is kind of fun it does only ever get you one card a turn unlike future sight which when you untap with it you're maybe getting like three or four cards a turn which is absurd but it it does do something the turn you play it like it does create a 2-2 so i think it's still somewhat defensible but playing five mana for an that's like a pretty thirdly enchantment these days is still kind of rough at our weekly event i actually lost to a jeskai control player that played Future Sight against me. I was baffled by them playing Future Sight. And then I told, I was like, why aren't you just playing Primordial Mist? <laughs> and, and now, and now maybe they were way ahead of the game or they should just play both. Yeah. 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 And the, the other card I wanted to bring up, which is a card I'm going to play forever because of how much I love it, is Commence the End Game. It's a, it's a six mana instant, four blue, blue. Can't be countered. You draw two cards and then create a, a zombie token army. I forget what the keyword is, but you amass. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you amass X where X is the number of cards in your hand. And there's nothing I love more than playing a control mirror. And I have this card in my hand early, so I'm just the happiest to do do nothing. And they're they're sitting there thinking they're happy to do nothing. And then I cast this card on turn six after hitting all my land drops, create an eight eight, and they're just like staring because I did this on their end step. That's exactly the reaction I've had every time that card has been casting me. I just I just <laughs> stare. 
Yep. And it, it can't be countered crucially. So there's there's nothing they can do. And they're just looking at like a bunch of lightning bolts and stuff. But yeah, it's it's magical if that happens. But it, it's also just a dirty six mana spell that if you're playing against an aggro or a midrange deck, it's like a three, three or a four, four. It's just kind of miserable. But six mana divination go. Come on. You of all people should get behind the six mana divination. <laughs> it's the six mana instant speed mold rifter. Two men argue about what's worse. Five mana do nothing <laughs> enchantment or six mana divination. All right. Well, Wheeler, your turn. What are you what are you holding on to? Can Am I allowed to say top? Sensei's top. Wait, are is we that... not playing top anymore? Is that a win condition? Oh, it is. It is if you know how to use it. All right. Oh, now you're speaking my language. My my actual my actual two. You can you'll they'll pry the Sphinx's revelation from my cold dead hands. Like I will. <laughs> Sphinx's rev is one. Like I I adore this magic card. It is. I don't. We. I think we're probably beyond this card, but yeah. it just feels so good like i don't care how much mana i pump into it i'll rev for one and i'll probably lose that game but it'll feel great so remind us of the finx's revelation what oh yeah it's x white blue blue it's an instant you gain x life and you draw x cards not i mean what else is there to love but the actual for an actual card that wins games occasionally (laughs) maloku the clouded mirror oh yes that's a combo card you're cheating no 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 i i return my mystic sanctuary to put my counter spell back on top yeah that's a combo combo it's a lock yeah that you can't lose you can't you can't include maloku plus mystic sanctuary okay fine i don't i don't even need the mystic sanctuary i'll return my irrigated farmland beautiful all right let's talk what's who's maloku real quick Maloku. He's a strapping young lad at uh, four and a blue for a two four. Uh, a moonfolk wizard with flying. You can pay one, return a land you control to your hand, or rather to its owner's hand, and you make a one one blue illusion token with flying. It eats lightning bolt and craps thunder and returns Mystic Sanctuary real good. Returning Mystic Sanctuary is why I. I say recently, but why I have played this card within the last year or so in control decks. Not every single build, but it does feel good occasionally. Like I had it in Sultai when I was on Corsair of Crufix and whatnot as well. That felt kind of nice. But it just like sometimes you're like, well, my hand is Force of Will, Force of Negation, and blue cards. Although Force of Negation not as good when you return all your lands to your hand <laughs> and then Alpha Strike on your own turn. But yeah, it's I mean this card does occasionally kill people. It blocks like the Brazen Borrowers and the Vendelian cliques and whatnot. And I don't care what what Blake and Jer say. I returning my Mystic Sanctuary to put Sphinx's Rev back on top is not a combo. <laughs> it's a way of life. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Friends, any last things you want to add about building control decks? Any little notes of wisdom that you feel you didn't have a chance to contribute? Learn to love Serum Visions. (laughs) I'll never love that card. (laughs) Yeah. Wait, Blake, are you on Team Serum Visions? Uh, It's like the eighth, but okay, I'm on it for now. But you know what? When Consider comes out, it might be the one getting the cut. Get it out of here. Oh, that's like weeks away. Who cares? (laughs) Like that's (laughs) Yeah. What are you talking about? It's the next set. It's probably tomorrow. Yeah. Consider, for those who don't know, is it's coming in Innistrad, but it's a blue mana 
instant for one man that you look you basically surveil one it doesn't say surveil but you surveil one so it can go to your graveyard instead of the bottom of your library and then you draw a card wow that's really good it is really good yeah i mean it's no serum visions but that's really good for all these delve decks though mm. yep right oh i've tried playing catalog <laughs> wait what <laughs> wait wait am i thinking I'm, I'm not thinking no sorry curate curate i'm thinking okay. of the wrong card <laughs> oh thank god curate not catalog <laughs> I, was like, I was about to say blake blake no <laughs> 55 minutes down the drain <laughs> one of them library blue things yeah, yeah. yeah no no curate which is really it's similar but it's two mana all right well let's move to a segment we haven't done in a very long time but some listeners might be excited to hear again that's right let's do powerful magic okay thank god one of you made some kind of noise it's been so long uh today blake is gonna tell us a magical story blake take it away so i was actually going to tell a story about the time i bluffed surge out of making a merit lage while i attacked for three for exactly seven turns uh, but i don't i don't remember all of the details of that story i just remember for some reason i had him convinced he was playing lands not to make a merit lage token while i attacked with a vendillion click and then as soon as he decided to make it i had an answer i don't remember what my answer was and also at some point in there i went from below 20 life to 21 life and i remember the slumping the trap but i don't remember the exact cards it might have involved cruel ultimatum even but either way it was at a it was at a magic fest who was the pro player it might have been i think it was it might have been vegas jerry thompson jerry yeah so i jerry wanted to play highlander i borrowed your deck I beat Jerry with your deck, which is probably the biggest feather in my cap of magic ever. <laughs> you got mad that your deck lost and just absolutely wiped the floor with me. <laughs> That's right. Jerry borrowed uh, the Grixis deck. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, you, sh you should have won that game had you had you made Merit Lage. Like you got to make him have it. If you're playing against a control player, make him have it. That's, I didn't remember the details. So I had another story that involved Cruel Ultimatum anyway. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell that one. So uh, I was playing at a local tournament and I was playing Grixis and my opponent was playing like a, a Jun mid-range deck. And we went real long. We were the last match playing by a good 10, 15 minutes. And so we're in game three and we're going to turns and I've got we were both just top decking uh, and there's like a crowd gathered around, which is important for my memory because I remember people cheering. But we're, <laughs> I, I think the card I had in hand as we were like passing back and forth and doing nothing was like a mana leak. And we both had a million lands in play. So it was, it was completely dead. So we get to and my opponent was in the teens. They were at 13. Exactly. And it's turn four of turns is, is their turn. I'm going to be turn five on their turn, turn four. I end step play Vendillion click and I target myself and I put a leak on the bottom of my library and I draw cruel ultimatum and I quickly count all my mana and look in my graveyard and sure enough, everything works out. So I, I untap attack with Vendillion click, put them down to 10. I look at my man. So of course, cool with me, very color intensive. I have to make sure like all the colors work out and everything and, and miraculously they do. I cast Cruel Ultimatum, put them down to five and the creature I get back from my graveyard is Snapcaster Mage. I then cast Snapcaster Mage to recast Cruel Ultimatum and hit him for the last five in turn five of turns. And oh. that is why I love Cruel Ultimatum. <laughs> 
just casually sitting on 20 mana. It was, I had ex literally exactly enough mana, which is 16 for those of you playing at home. <laughs> it, it had gone that long. That's one of my favorite cruel ultimatum stories. That's fantastic. Well, Blake, thank you so much for joining us today. Really quickly, if people wanted to see more stuff that they do, where can they find you? Like I said earlier in the show, I'm on Weekly MTG. It's Thursdays at 2.30 Pacific time. And we're on twitch.tv slash magic. I am... I'm not really writing for dailymtg.com anymore, but if you see a byline that says by Wizards of the Coast, that might be by me. And then on Twitter, I am at BlakePR. Awesome. Well, that's going to do it for our episode today. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. A reminder that this podcast is brought to you by you with your support at the Patreon over at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.